since I was John the phone guy in my 20s, John the loan guy in my 30s, so I thought, well, now's a good time to <laughs> turn a new leaf. Hello, everyone. I'm Glenn, your host of The Millionaire Journey. The goal of this podcast is to guide and empower you on your journey to towards financial independence. Today, my guest, John Henry with Millennial Wealth. Welcome, John. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to interview you. I have uh, been following you on Twitter and conversating, and I, I think you'll have a great story. Uh, to get started, I guess, just tell us a little bit about your, your financial journey and uh, how you got to where you're at today. Well, do you want the whole story, Glenn, or the shortened version? We'll say the 30, 30 second to maybe a 90 second version of it. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I grew up with a single mom, so I became aware of money and you know, the effects it has on us when there's a shortage early in life. I know my mom struggled with that. So at an early age, I became very interested in money. So the short story really is I pretty much became obsessed with reading about money and finance and made as much as I could in my 20s and 30s and bought four properties in my 20s, bought two properties in my 30s. And over the long term, that pretty much set me up financially, just doing those things early on and practicing the right behaviors early on. Awesome. So uh, I guess we can break that down a little bit kind of towards the, um, I guess, what was your uh, first, I guess, career job that would help you buy those properties? Well, when I got out of high school, I got a scholarship to go to the state school and I went it was an hour away from my home. I went for about two months and quit and moved back home, <laughs> sent the money back. My mom wasn't happy about that. So and I got a job in the mall selling cell phones. So it's kind of crazy thinking back, but selling cell phones in the mall is how I bought four properties in my 20s. So I quit school early because it just didn't feel like the right path for me. I wanted to work, so I worked a bunch of different jobs, and I realized that I enjoyed sales. So selling phones in the mall, I ended up doing that for 12 years. Wow. Not something you really brag about, but between 2000 and 2010, you could make six figures selling phones in the mall. So a lot of my friends that went to school and graduated and came out and got a job making 50 grand, I was doubling what they were doing. So I had a lot of friends and family say, John, why don't you get a real job? But yeah. most of the people that said that were making half of what I was making. So that's kind of the story of my 20s. So that enabled me to buy property. Eventually, I hit my 30s and decided I should probably do something else. But that's kind of the short version of my 20s. So uh, you're saying there, there's no college degree, you left college, and then we you went to start the cell phone sales. And how how did you go about buying that first property? Uh, I bought my first one. The four properties I bought were all in Seattle. I bought my first one in 2004. So that was when you could actually get 100% financing. So I got an 80% loan and a 20% loan. So I just had to come in with the closing cost. It was a condo. So you can't. There's not many options to do that these days, but and so I purchased my first property. And if we're just kind of going through that, 
Two years later, I sold the property and made 100000 I thought I was a genius, right? <laughs> so I bought a house for 400000 in 2006. And that was right before the great financial crisis. So a couple later, a couple years later, my four hundred thousand dollar house was worth two fifty. I wasn't feeling too smart then. Hey, where, but where, I bought the, two, where were the where the house is at? In Seattle. Oh, okay. But I bought two more properties. So. So you could that to buy those houses in the recession during the recession. And so I bought the house in two thousand six. I bought a. The first condo in 2008, and then I bought the second condo in 2009. So I, I probably, yeah, I pretty much bought all the properties right before the Great Recession. So sitting through the Great Recession wasn't fun. I lost my job. Mm. All four of the, all three of the properties I had were underwater. <laughs> but yeah. it was a long-term plan. But you, to hope. It, yeah. but you had fixed uh, finance financing on those and was able to hold on to them. Yeah. Yeah. So it was always a long-term plan. Buy a property, put a renter in there and have them pay off the mortgage. And it was a long-term retirement type plan for me. So I well, sat so through when, it, which was hard. When you, so with those houses, do you still own them? Um, I sold two of the Seattle properties. I still have the two condos. So I had the two condos up there I've had for like 15 years now. Wow. So, uh, I, and I'm assuming they're not underwater anymore. No, glad I stuck with it. I saw a lot of friends and family let their stuff go, but that's the thing about investing is it's not a straight line type of thing. And it's always best to have a long-term outlook, especially with property. So after, uh, your twenties, uh, we, after you've I guess 2008, 2009, uh, tell us a little bit more about your finance, like your, trajectory of professionally or find uh investing and everything along with that um so i lost my job in 2009 the end of 2009 i didn't work for nine months so this was definitely the hardest time for me financially because my three remaining properties were underwater i had fifty five thousand in credit card debt so at that time i decided i wanted to go in a different direction so i started working in banking so that's something I've always been interested in, finance and real estate. So I was a banker for a year, and then I moved into mortgage finance, and I actually did that all of my 30s. So just to recap, my 20s, I averaged around 100000 a year selling phones in the mall. Who would have thought you could do that? I don't think you can these days. But And then in my 20s, I averaged around, I'm sorry, my 30s, I averaged around 180 a year doing mortgages. So in my 30s, I bought two more properties in California. And my investing strategy really was make as much as I can. I saved 15% in my 20s and my 30s into my 401k. In my later 30s, I started to save outside my 401k because I was maxing it out. And really, that was my strategy was just save, invest in my 401k, buy property, that I planned to hold for a long time. And eventually I hit the million dollar mark when I was 36, just between my property and my savings. And then around 40, I hit the two and a half million dollar mark. And that's when I decided, well, I've been in corporate 20 years, I might as well leave and 
you know, try to do my own thing. And I became more interested in other types of investing outside of, you know, typical 401k and property. So that's where I'm at these days. So what, what, uh, what other investing is that? Property and investing in your 401k is pretty much kind of the beginner stages. Over the past few years, I've been looking into other things like private placements where you can invest in private businesses. And, you know, it's not for everybody. And it's definitely if you're more sophisticated and you are interested in those sort of things, it's definitely something to look into if, you know, but not so much for the average, the average person. But that's something I'm still exploring. I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim to be an expert in investing in private businesses. It's, it's my current so how, journey. How did you get tied into that? How do, how do you how do you invest in something like that? Um, usually, you have to have a certain network, I believe, to be able to invest in private investor. Is that what that is? Yeah, yeah. There's more and more available these days. I think the rules changed a few years ago, where the average person can invest in private companies and they don't have to be accredited. It just depends, but. That's something you definitely need to research and think hard about. I wouldn't recommend that early in anybody's journey as far as investing and budgeting. Just the basic blocking and tackling is the most important for most folks. So with the uh, the business that you invested in, what, what kind of business is that? Well, I've invested in over 10 private companies. And wow. And what's the, past the, what's the minimum investment for each one? It just depends, really. So if it's if you need to be accredited, I mean... It really is up to the company that's raising the funds. So normally if you need to be accredited, the minimum that I've seen is usually 10000 So, So uh, has any of them really taken off or done well? Or have you seen anything to, to come back? Or I'm still in the beginning stages of that. So I, I just started exploring that in 2000 or 2021, 2022. So it's not something you'd necessarily do early on in your investing journey. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I was going to say investing though, it's, it's just one of those things, financial knowledge, it just builds, you know, you have a budget and then you save your money and then you buy a property and then you have a significant amount of money saved over a long period of time. So it's just, it's something that grows as your knowledge grows, you become more and more interested in other things that you wouldn't necessarily be interested in earlier on in your journey, you know, and everybody's risk tolerance is different. So some people are more comfortable with certain things than others. Yeah. So the, uh, I guess nowadays you are financial coach or is what, what are you doing today? I think I, I've just going off of what I've seen on Twitter. Yeah. Well, I left, I decided to leave banking after 10 years. So I left banking when I was 39 and I thought, you know, I need to, I want to do my own thing, but I don't know exactly what that is. But after sitting in a cubicle for 20 years, I thought, I, you know, there has to be more out there. So I left and at the end of 2019, planning to do my own thing. And then the pandemic hit. So after doing mortgages for 10 years during the pandemic, my phone was just ringing like crazy. Everybody wanted to refinance. So I, I worked part time for a broker and I did loans for another two years. And then the end of 2021, everything started to slow down. So that's when I decided, well, now's the time where I can start pursuing something new. Since I was John the phone guy in my 20s, John the loan guy in my 30s. So I thought, well, now's a good time to <laughs> turn a new leaf. So I decided I wanted to start an online business. 
that was focused on financial education. And Millennial Wealth is the newsletter that I started that comes out every Saturday. And I, I imagine I'm talking to my younger self, basically, just kind of mm -hmm. sharing and talking about the things that would have interested me in my early 30s, later 20s. So my plan basically is just to build a community of folks that are interested in this this type of stuff, paying off debt, building wealth, looking into a different investments, just growing financial knowledge. Yeah, That's so, how we connected on Twitter. Yeah. And I feel like we have a lot of the similar views. Uh, I think with the, uh, if you could, I guess, what is something that you, I guess with you talking to your younger self, what would be that one thing that you could change or how, what would give you a better start or like what, what would be the one thing that I guess you would change with your uh, financial journey that you could have done instead? I would say just to become more aware of money sooner. Mm. So an analogy I always think of is everybody loves Tesla, right? Yeah. Every quarter Tesla reports how much they made, what their expenses were, what their profit was. I wish earlier I became more serious with that and I probably would have got to where I'm at maybe five or eight years sooner. So just be aware of the money that's coming in and the money that's going out every month. Think of your personal life like you're running a business like Tesla. They need to make a profit to stay in business. So the average person, they need to keep score. They need to know what's coming in every month and what's going out every month. And if you're just hoping and wishing and you don't have a process of keeping score, that doesn't usually end very well. So I guess it, uh, we've all make, made the mistakes. So what's, what's your biggest money mistake that you've made? Uh, when I was 30 and I didn't work for nine months and had almost $60,000 in credit card debt, that's a mistake you don't forget. I think it's one of those things we all learn the hard way. So so how did how did you get out of that, uh, that hole? Working in mortgage. Mortgage tends to pay really well. So I tell the average person, my younger self, make as much money as you can in your 20s or 30s. If you're going to work for someone else and you're going to make 40 grand a year, it's hard to get ahead, especially with inflation being 20% over the last three and a half years. Literally the last three and a half years, inflation is 20%. You can't make 40 grand a year and get ahead. You know, yeah. it's, it's hard. And so you really need to think about how you can make as much money as possible. And for me, I realized that I liked sales and sales is one of the few roles where you can make six figures and not have a degree. And you don't necessarily have to be a stereotypical salesperson. I'm an introvert. I'm not an average stereotypical salesperson. Most people are surprised when they learn I was in sales for as long as I was, but it's a skill. Most people that are stereotypical don't remain in sales because people don't like to be sold to. So is there like any creative ways that you were, or I guess ways that you've sacrificed that um, obviously you might not be doing today, but before that point you had to sacrifice to whether it is work more or some way of uh, paying off that debt? Like what, what, what were some things that you had to do? Um, in my thirties, I worked a lot. I mean, I worked like 60 hour weeks. So eventually you realize that there's only so much time in the day and you start to think, how could I work smarter, not harder? <laughs> yeah. How could I make more and not work 12 hour days? And I think I remember in my twenties, if you work 12 hour days, you're bragging about it. But really, it's not a very smart, scalable way to go. So high income skills 
in my opinion, are the best way to make a lot of money. So there's lots of different types of high income skills out there that you don't necessarily need a degree to acquire. So I would really tell somebody to focus on making as much as they possibly can. A sacrifice I made besides working too much in my 30s, always when I bought property, I always had a roommate. And I know a lot of people like to live alone, but looking back over 15 years, I probably saved 180000 by just having a roommate over 15 years. So just thinking about stuff like that makes a big difference over the long term. Yeah, that's super underrated. I know that I know a few people that have done that and uh, really put them on an upward trajectory with uh, their finances. If you just get rid of that one expense or housing, it just opens up the floodgates where you can able to save and pay off a, a big, you know, big loan they ha- like you did. When I was reading your your website, I was thinking, uh, do you and do you do financial coaching? Um, I'm set up on my website to do financial coaching, yes. And okay. I'm not doing it right now just because I'm focused on building up my audience. But okay. it's something I'll likely do in the future more just to get a better idea of what folks need as far as what would be helpful for them. My longer-term goal is to create digital products that I can offer, possibly on budgeting or buying your first rental property. So financial coaching is great to help people and to get an idea of what's what people need and want as far as how I can help in the future with those things. Cool. Is there is there anything you think that we should touch base on with your financial journey? Or here's a question I was actually thinking before at the podcast. And I and I thought because I think about my own personal story and what was the I guess the unintended consequence of becoming financially independent? Like something that happened to you that you ended up benefiting from somehow, but had no idea that it, that it was going to happen. This is a terrible example, but my mom passed away when I was 34. Mm. And that I think whenever a parent passes away or somebody that's close to you, it just causes you to really think hard about life and what you're doing and what you maybe want to stop doing or start doing. And for me, when I was 34 and that happened, that's when I really thought, you know, I'm I'm killing myself working so much and there's there's so much more to life than, you know, working hard, working too hard. So I'd say for me, that was the biggest pivot point when I was 34 is when I decided I needed to leave corporate and plan my exit. And I didn't leave for another five or six years, but that's when I really doubled down as far as my savings. Yeah. When it comes to, to the financial story, I have this sim- similar stories, you know, just started I mean, I started around 27, but then around, I really started getting into the financial independence and started learning about the uh, the benefits of a high savings rate. And uh, the lower you spend, the more you can, uh, the easier it is to get to that, that destination. Yeah. Uh, I guess, would you have any questions for me or... I don't think I do at this point. I know you. I've read I've read about your journey online a bit, so I kind of have a general idea of. Sounds like you were a real estate guy too, so I haven't asked you too much about that. But it'd be nice to know more. Yeah, and I think the main thing that me and you connected with was the uh, the main focus on. I mean, I understand. Like, I agree that the sa- the savings rate has to be high, but the way to get to the savings rate is press down on the expenses, but then also. Uh, increase the income. And I think that we agree on a lot of uh, the strategies of, uh, you know, 
uh, investing into income producing assets and stuff like that. And that was one thing that I really, uh, really made me interested in wanting to interview you. And, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see your, uh, growth in the, um, financial industry just as a, as a, a good example of what it, what it takes to have a good savings rate. I guess we could just wrap up the interview. I guess, uh, what I'll do is I'll put ways to contact John in the, in the description below. If, uh, you have any feedback for the podcast, we can, you can leave comments, review, thumbs up if you like the podcast. And it's, uh, this is the inaugural podcast. So we'll, we'll have a lot to uh, changing constantly, but we look forward to, uh, having more guests like John on the inter, uh, John to interview. And thanks for listening. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks.